Thank you. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And again, we're in Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may have a new life. If we've been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. See you all this morning. So as you already heard today, you know, we're embarking on this fall series called Embodied. What does it mean to live life in these bodies that God has given us? And uh, last week, um, I started, I gave us, gave us this overview, right? Genesis to Revelation. And what we learned there is that God intended us to be very integrated human beings. We're not these souls trapped in bodies that are very separate from each other, but we are these embodied souls, right? Uh, psychosomatic, integrated beings, and that's the way God wanted it. And we saw that, that the Bible has a very affirming view of the body. Your body is not a mistake. It's the, the physical creation is not some, some unfortunate thing that happened that we one day want to escape. This is part of God's good creation. And so I sent you out last week with an assignment. Um, do you guys remember the assignment? I, I said, go out and have a sensual experience this week. And I'm hoping some of you went out and had a sensual, an experience in the five senses is what I meant by that. So um, can I have some nods? I want to know. Okay, good. So I, mine was Wednesday night. I actually ended up having like, Carrie and the girls were off. She had taken one to soccer practice and one was at gymnastics. And I had like an hour and a half to myself in the evening before the sun went down. And so I just went out into my yard. We've got this little malty poo now uh, named Dakota. And I, just, I, I listened to an album from start to finish uh, that takes me back to a certain season of my life. And it was a beautiful night. Um, and I just sat out there, enjoyed the beauty, and took in music with my ears and the sights. And it was such a lovely, sensual experience in the body. And so I hope that you were able to kind of do that this week. And um, today we're going to look at the fact that discipleship to Jesus is a very embodied process. Uh, not just that we as human beings, but specifically discipleship to Jesus is a very embodied process. So uh, before I get into this passage, um, I was just thinking more this week 
uh, about what I was talking about last week. I'm going to show you an image. You know, I took us back to the Garden of Eden. This is the Garden of Eden here um, in Mont uh, Wyoming, actually. And um, I was thinking about, again, you know, I talked about this last week, but what God's original design for us. What, what was that supposed to be? And it was, it was supposed to be this very integrated, again, psychosomatic, embodied experience of shalom, of flourishing. And, and he created us to, that he would reign in our hearts, that in our hearts, in our spirits, in our inner being, we would treasure God before all else. And that treasuring and worship of God would get expressed through our bodies in this amazing place, in, in this beautiful place that was embodied and perfectly fit to experience an embodied shalom. And so he gave us eyes, you know, that would, would take in the beauty of what he made and worship him because of what we were seeing. And he gave us hands and feet. And he said, I want you to go, you know, work the garden till you're the, you're the gardeners in this place. And our hands and feet would have been used to, to create order and beauty out of what he had what he had made, and we had mouths to eat all of this good fruit and to speak, to, to sing songs of praise to him, to speak words of encouragement to one another. We were given ears to, to take in the, the, the sounds of his creation and to listen really well to one another, right? We were given these bodies that were to be, to use the language of, of our passage today, instruments of righteousness, right? Enacting the righteousness that we experience in our hearts. And I, I've seen that word instruments and I actually thought of like a, a musical instrument. Um, how many of you, anyone here played like a, a wind or reed instrument? Okay, yeah, I imagine, yeah. Not a lot of millennial reed or wind instrument players anymore. <laughs> but back in the day, right, you would get into high school and everyone's playing different things. But I was thinking about the, that picture of, of, an, of an instrument where you have this invisible breath, right, that you breathe and you have this, this physical object that harnesses that breath and brings it to sound, to vibration and sound. It's this instrument enacting this invisible breath and making it audible. And I think that's in some ways what God has given us in these bodies, that we have these invisible spirits, right? And, and they are, but our bodies are the, the physical enactment of what is going on in our spirits and resonating what, what God placed in our hearts. And again, the garden was supposed to be this beautiful experience of holy hearts that, experience, that, that express holiness in, in their instruments of righteousness, right? Now, of course, what we know is um, sin, and it probably wasn't an apple tree, I'm guessing, but um, it wasn't Wyoming either, so we're, well, I'm there, I might as well just keep going. Um, sin began with a tree, right? But really, sin began with an idea in the mind. And the idea was, oh, maybe you can't actually trust this God. Maybe he's holding back good things from you. Maybe, you. maybe you can't trust him, and you need to take matters into your own hands. It began with an idea in the mind. But think about how that idea got embodied, right? It involved feet that walked over to a tree and a hand that reached out and grabbed fruit right, and then put it into the mouth in a mouth that chewed and swallowed this and then handed it to her husband who did the same. This very embodied expression of an idea, right? And then sin entered the world. And these bodies that were intended to be instruments of righteousness have now become instruments of sin. And I'm thinking, but look at verse six. I was really struck this week by verse six. I'm not gonna go through this whole passage today in case you haven't figured that out yet, but... Um, 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him, and, uh, and here's the phrase, so that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin. And I thought, well, he, surely he doesn't mean that our, our bodies are, are inherently sinful. We're in, we're, we learned last week, no, no, your body's a good gift from God. So it's not the fact that you're embodied. What I think he is saying is that these bodies have now become instruments of a sinful heart. The desires of the heart have been played out in these bodies. And so these bodies have habituated themselves to sinful patterns. They've been conditioned over time to sinful habits and behaviors. Um, how many of you read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers book? May? Okay, you know, he's got the 10,000 hour rule, which is basically, hey, if you, if you will commit yourself to t doing, practicing something for 10,000 hours, you will become an expert. He gives examples how the Beatles did that and all these famous people. And whether that rule actually works or not, um, what we can say about these bodies is all of our bodies have hit the 10,000 hour rule limit when it comes to sinning, right? They've become habituated into sinful patterns and behaviors. These, these, these bodies have been habituated so that, so that Paul can call them a body of sin. We have a muscle memory <laughs> developed in our bodies of sin. Let me give you one easy example. Um, some of you in this room are angry drivers, okay? And I can really go after you because I'm not an angry driver, so I can just come down with self-righteousness right now. But, um, <laughs> So honestly, I'm not an angry driver. Um, I honk my horn probably twice a year. That's probably about right. Um, maybe I should honk it more. Um, some of you maybe honk your horn twice a drive, right? And you, you are angry drivers. And that anger gets expressed through this pattern in your, in your body, right? You've, you've really, you've worked this pattern. You have habituated this move in your body. And you think about, actually think about this, um, and this is just how you drive. You actually don't even think your way to the horn anymore. Your hand just reacts. It's sort of a conditioned response, right? Your, your pec and your tricep have kind of got reps in this move. Yeah, you've, you've like habituated, you've got it 10,000 hours, but it's really, you, you don't think your way to the horn. You actually, you act your way to the horn, right? It's a conditioned response, an embodied response over time, and that's kind of a silly example. But I think that's what Paul is saying, is these bodies have become habituated to a way of living um, that needs to shift. And so what we have, of course, after the fall, we have, of course, the coming of Christ. We looked at that last week, that Christ came in a body, and he bore in his body our sins on the tree so that we might be forgiven. We might experience freedom, and we might not long, no longer live to sin, but live to righteousness. And so what we're looking at, what Paul is addressing in this passage is how do we then live in a fallen world and pursue discipleship to Jesus as spiritual and embodied beings, all right? That makes sense? So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. How do we do this? What does this look like? And I'm going to focus in on verse 11 through 14, because that's the part that really focuses in on our bodies. But I want to just set the context. I mean, you could do a sermon series on this, this passage. It's so dense theologically. But let me just give you a, like a minute on verses 1 through 10, just to give you the context. The context of this passage is grace. The grace of God. Look at how it ends in verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you are under grace. Uh, and really, Romans is all about the grace of God. And 
ends in the first verse with this question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And this is a question that every high school boy, I'll tell you that much, as one asks all the time. Well, if we're under the forgiveness and grace of God, well, then can I just go on sinning, right? I mean, even, even going on and sinning more shows God, just how gracious God is. So I can help God out by sinning more, right? And that's the question that Paul's answering in this passage. And his answer in verses 2 through 10 is remarkable. And he says, that question doesn't make any sense. And here's why. Because something has happened to you if you have given your life to Jesus. Something has happened to you so that you are no longer that self-centered, sin-seeking person. Why don't you go on sinning? Because you are a different person now. And I can, I can sum up that in person, who you are, is with two words, in Christ. You no longer live that way because that's no longer who you are because you are now in Christ. And let me just give you a couple of these. Look at verse two. By no means, may it never be that you'd live this way. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, okay? Lots of stuff there. But he's saying, you need to think of yourself as being in Christ. When you become, when you put your faith in Jesus, you've like been grafted into Jesus. Imagine yourself literally in Jesus so that his experiences have become your experiences. Jesus, right, he lived, and then he was crucified, died, buried, rose. Well, you have to see that's what's happened to you. That's how God sees you in Jesus. You also have died and been buried, and you have risen to a new life. Okay, look at verse 6 again. Uh, For if we have been, oh, that can't be right. Uh, Oh, yeah, verse six, yeah. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. The old you that used to live for yourself before you believed in Jesus, right? That, That old you has been crucified and you have been risen to a new life where Jesus is now your Lord and master. And he uses the analogy of baptism. And a couple weeks ago, we saw some people get baptized, right? Out on the patio. And what happens in baptism is you go underwater, you drown, (laughs) and then you come up to newness and to forgiveness. And and that's the picture. Paul's saying, in Christ, you've died to an old way of life. That's not a part of who you are anymore. You've You've been raised up to a new life where Jesus is your Lord. So do you go on sinning? No, that wouldn't even make sense with who you are, right? And he's saying, you need to remember that about yourself. You're a new creation in Christ. Jesus defines your life now, not your old life, not your old past behaviors. This is who you are, okay? This is how God sees you, he is saying. Okay, so let's get to really what I want to get to this morning, these verses 11 through 14. What are the implications of the fact that you are a new creature? And we all know, (laughs) Paul, that sounds great, but I don't feel like a new creature, right? Like, I'm still doing the stuff I used to do. I'm still messing up. Sin still is reigning in my life. So what are you saying? He says, well, let me now, you need to learn how to apply that spiritual reality of who you are into your life in daily living. This is who you are spiritually. Now become that in your daily life. And he has two things to say. 
Verse 11, he starts with our minds. Something needs to change in your minds. Look at verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word count. You need to consider yourself. You need to reckon yourself. You need to imagine yourself as being dead to an old way of life and, and living to a new life. There's a mind shift. You have to see yourself in a new way. Right? It's about the mind. I don't identify with that old person anymore. I identify with this new person in Jesus. Know yourself in this new way. And then he goes on in verse 12, say, but it's not just about your mind. It is also about how you live in your body. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer the parts of your body, oh sorry, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as an instrument of righteousness. Are you still with me? Yeah, okay. Do you notice how uh, bodily that was? I would have expected him to say um, in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your hearts, right? Don't, you got, don't let sin reign in your hearts. He doesn't say it. He says, don't let sin reign in your what? In your bodies, right? You can't just think yourself to righteousness in your mind. You have to learn righteousness in your body. You have to, there's a way you have to act in your body. And there's a metaphor that Paul's running with here. He uses that, that word instrument, right? And I actually think the instrument that Paul's thinking about is a little bit more aggressive than the instrument I use, that, that a musical instrument. He has more of like a warfare image going on in this passage. So let me just show you what I see here. Look at, look at the word um, in verse 12. You see the word reign. Don't let sin reign. And you see the word obey so that you obey. So someone is reigning and someone is obeying that person. Uh, verse 14 Sin shall no longer be your master. You have the word master. And then in verse 16, if you skip down, um, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves? So, so you have reigning, obeying, uh, slave or master, slave. And then you have these words, instrument. And every other time Paul uses that word in the Bible, instrument, it gets translated as weapon. Okay? Offer your parts of your body as, as weapons, instruments, tools, but weapons of righteousness. So one commentator says, here's, here's the metaphor Paul's running with. I want you to imagine that your body, your physical body, is like a castle. Okay, so let's go back to medieval times. Your body is a castle, and there's somebody reigning on the throne of this castle. And there's two options. It can be sin is reigning, or it can be God is reigning. And you are to offer the parts of your body as weapons to God. Imagine like a knight coming in to the sovereign, right, and getting down on his knee and say, you know, your royal majesty, I present myself, I offer myself in humble service, and I offer you my sword and my shield and my bow and my arrow. May they be used in your good service. Okay, you got that picture? And Paul is running with that and is saying, imagine that your bodies are like this castle or this temple where God can, can reign here, and you offer your parts as as weapons, now not swords and shields, but hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouths. We say, Lord, we, we offer these to you. We present ourselves and these parts of our bodies to you. May they be used in your good service. 
okay? How many of you women are doing Abide this year? A lot of Abide. You guys are going through Ephesians 6, right? Spiritual warfare, where you're learning actually our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle against invisible spiritual forces. But what we learn in this passage is that spiritual battle is played out on the battlefield of your body, where invisible realities are played out in how you act with your body, okay? Every day, we are making choices with our body. Who am I presenting this body to? To sin or to God? And I can present it to sin, and what sin does, what he says in verse 12, look at this. Um, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. What sin does is it takes the natural desires of the body and it twists them and uses them for unrighteous ends. So it takes the natural desire for like, let's say like sleep and rest that everybody has and it twists that and turns it into sloth or laziness or takes the natural desire of the body for, for food, very natural, good desire, and it twists that desire into gluttony. It takes the natural desire for sex and it twists that into selfish lust. Right? It takes natural bodily desires and just shifts them and twists them for unrighteous ends. But if we present our, our bodies to God, of course, God takes these very natural desires and says, let me show you how to play those out in ways that I designed you for, in ways that I intended, whether it's food or sex or, or drink or sleep or whatever it is. But every day we're making choices with our bodies Who will I present this body to, sin or to God? And the challenge is, as I said earlier, these patterns become habituated, okay? Look at verse 16 again. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether slaves of sin or slaves to God? These patterns become uh, muscle memory in your bodies, Uh, Let me give you another example. How many of you have had the experience of all of a sudden, it's the end of the night, it's 11 p.m., and your eyes are kind of blurry, and you've been staring at a TV screen for the last four hours, and there's an empty bag of chips next to you, and you're wondering, I have no idea how I got to this place. (laughs) Have we not all had some kind of, or maybe it's cookies, or maybe it's a quart of ice cream, or whatever it is, but you're, yeah, quart, um, a pint, maybe. Um, you just watched four hours of television. Maybe this is a habituated pattern. You do this often, right? You come home the other day and, and you, um, you do the dishes, maybe you put the kids down, and then three hours of just sort of, what do we call it, couch surfing, whatever that's called, or just, right, just sitting there. But, but here's the thing. It's not like you finished up with the dishes and then you stepped back and thought, I'm going to defi- devise a plan of action for the night. Right? You, you come up with this plan. My plan is going to be I'm going to watch three to four hours of TV tonight. And now I will enact that plan. I will embark on that plan. Right? That's, that's not how you got there. Right? Like, and again, same with the horn. You, you actually, you didn't think your way over to the couch. You, you actually literally just walked your way over to the couch. Right? There was no intention to it. You just walked your way over to the couch. And then your arm reached out and picked up a remote control and started pushing buttons, and your eyes just sort of sat and glazed over as you watched things, and maybe your other thumb is scrolling on your feed as you're doing these things. Um, your body, this was, a, this was a conditioned, habitual pattern that wasn't thought out, 
right? It wasn't intentional. It just kind of happened. You've developed a pattern of mind and body that's been habituated. And we have that in so many other ways. Ways of talking, things that we consume. Or some of us, we wake up in the morning and we, we pick up this device. We're not thinking about it. Our hand just picks it up and starts scrolling. This is how we start our day. It's a habituated pattern of behavior. Or it can be to righteous things, right? But we have these... It's, it's very bodily. Righteousness and unrighteousness is a very bodily experience. And so what we have to do is offer our bodies and our minds to God every single day. It's a very integrated mind-body experience. And I was thinking this week of, I was just thinking of other parts of the New Testament especially and how integrated the discipleship journey is. I just want to give you a couple examples and then I'll wrap up. But I was thinking about um, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and some of the things he says in the Sermon on the Mount. And when I think of Jesus, at least as a kid, I would have thought, Jesus is a guy who doesn't focus so much on behavior. He focuses on the heart, right? Like the Old Testament behavior, but Jesus is all about the heart. And there's parts of, of, of of the Sermon on the Mount that feel that way. You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, right? So Jesus takes it from the behavior to the heart and says it's the heart, the spirit, the soul that really counts. But what's so interesting is after taking us to the heart, what Jesus prescribes us to do is very embodied and behavioral. So what do I do? about anger in the heart. He gives you a very embodied thing to do. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, what do you do? Walk away from the altar, right? Leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. It's a very embodied response. Or how about this one? You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, um, right? That's behavior. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that's of the heart, has already committed adultery within her heart. So he's all about the heart. But notice what he prescribes us to do. Therefore, if your right eye causes you to stumble, he starts talking about the body. Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to, be, to go into hell. Now, I think he's this little hyperbolic of Jesus, I'm hoping. <laughs> but I think he's saying, take drastic embodied action to deal with what's going on in your heart. He goes on in, this, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. If someone strikes you on the cheek... He doesn't say, forgive them in your heart. He says, why don't you turn the other cheek to them? Give them that embodied response, right? Um, if someone curses you, bless them. If, you, if you're worried about praying to impress people, well, then go into a closet and be alone and pray so that no one can hear your prayers. He's getting at the heart, but he's also getting at the body. I was thinking of James chapter 3, um, where James is talking about our speech, but he actually goes on to talk about a muscle, the tongue. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Very small muscle, right? Uh, but makes great boasts. We all stumble in many ways. This statement here is fascinating me. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Really? 
You're telling me if I could just control my tongue, I could control the rest of my behaviors? That, that doesn't make any sense to me, Paul. That, what's the connection? He's like, well, let me give you some examples. Like, hey, we, take, we put very little bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us. And we can turn the whole animal. This little thing can, have, can shape the whole animal. Or take ships, right? Even though they're so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. If you can learn to control this muscle, <laughs> it's a muscle, and there's jaw, and there's a diaphragm involved. Learn to control that muscle. That will radically impact the rest of your life. And I, I'll just say, as a father of three daughters, there have been several times where we'll be at, usually it's at the dinner table, and things have gotten sideways, and, and just these arrows, are, these verbal arrows are being slung back and forth, and everything that's coming out of people's mouths is unhelpful. And I just, I say, we are going to pause on speaking. Literally, you're not allowed to talk. This might be bad parenting. We're going to pause. 60 seconds. Do not use your tongue. Like, stop this. I'm not asking for a change of heart. I want a muscle change here. You're not allowed to work this muscle. How is it so hard that you can't stop working this muscle? Just stop talking. Thank you. I've got a thumbs up in the back. Yes. Thank you, Graham. I'm just talking muscularly, girls. I'm not asking for a heart change. Just stop talking joking a little bit. But it's embodied. One last one. I was thinking about the Psalms this week and how embodied the Psalms are, right? It doesn't say worship God in your hearts. Clap your hands. We had some good um, one, three claps today, right? Happy. happy. Okay. Uh, shout to God with cries of joy. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary, right? We are these, our, our worship of God should be expressed in our bodies. Let us worship and bow down uh, let us kneel. It doesn't say let us kneel our hearts before the Lord, but let us kneel before the Lord. And, and the most terrifying verse in all scripture for Grace Fellowship Church, let them praise his name with dancing. Yeah. Oh, we got some dancers. It's embodied. And I was just thinking this week, this is going to sound weird. I wonder if sometimes we're actually too spiritual in how we approach our Christian lives. Like, that will feel weird because most people aren't spiritual enough, but maybe sometimes we're too spiritual. We need to think more practically. We need to think more in terms of the actual actions in our bodies. And when we're in bad spiritual patterns, maybe our solutions need to be less theoretical and more tangible. And let me just take you back to the, the four hours in front of the TV, right? And let's say you came in to me for some pastoral um, care. He said, I've got this problem. I watch four hours of TV a night. I, I don't know what to do. We could seek a spiritual solution to that. And that would be a, actually a fruitful conversation. Well, tell me, why do you think, what's going on there? Well, I'm just so tired. I'm just so drained at the end of the day. Well, why are you so drained? Um, I just, I don't know. I don't think I'm trusting God enough. Okay, so maybe there's a lack of trust. So why don't you want to go to God at the end of the night? Why do you want to go to TV instead of God? What's in your heart that is longing for that? Well, I don't know, it just feels like, okay, we could go down that road, and that would, would be a fruitful conversation, but there might be a, a simpler <laughs> answer, which would be to, to actually talk about the body and say, well, I think it's, it's actually your legs that take you over to the couch. What if, we, what if we just change the pattern, your habituated embodied pattern, and every night when you finish putting the kids down, or you finish with the dishes or whatever you had to do, what if you let your legs walk you to the front door and let your hand open the front door, grab a jacket, and what if you walked 
around your neighborhood or your complex for 15 minutes? What if you just, you, you, that became your habituated bodied response at the end of the day to walk? Don't even worry too much about what you're thinking about on your walk, right? Don't bring your phone, but just, just give yourself 15 minutes of walking outside and, and take that embodied experience and then come back and see what that does to change you, right? Sometimes I think we try to think our way to righteousness, which is very important, but sometimes we need to live righteousness in the body. Sometimes our minds need to lead our bodies, but sometimes we need to lead with the body. Um, Sometimes, you know, I always sit over here and, and worship, and psalms aside, I rarely dance, and it's really hard for me to get here. It's hard for me to get here. But I, I can get to here, you know, on a good day. Um, and if you see me here, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's sort of like a, yeah, it's like a, it's a 90 degree rule. I have 45, it's a lot, but like 90 degree rule, I get to 90 degree, and the, 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 the fingers can really, if I'm really feeling it, really wide. Um, but if you see me in this spot, you could look over at me and go, man, Dave's really feeling it today, right? He's really feeling it. And, and it's possible that that's what, I am really feeling it. And it's like, ah, I want, God, I want to express that to you. But sometimes if you see me like this, I'm like this precisely because I'm not feeling it. Because my mind feels very disconnected. I'm, my heart is not connecting all with these words that are supposed to mean a lot. They don't mean anything to me. I feel distracted. I, I, I'm whatever. And so sometimes I'll go, But I can do this. I can put my body in a position that says to God and that says to my mind, God, I want to be receptive to you. My heart feels hard and just distracted today. But in my body, I'm going to tell you that I want to be receptive to you. And sometimes we lead with the body. And sometimes this position helps my mind. Um, Or at least I can worship with my body, even if I can't worship with my mind. And so sometimes we lead with the body. All right, that was a lot, I know. Last week, simple idea, our bodies are an inherent part of us. They're these good gifts from God. And today, simple idea, our bodies are an inherent part of our discipleship to Jesus. We have to learn to follow Jesus in our minds, but also we need to learn to to follow him in our bodies. And I'll leave you with this passage. One day we will stand before the Lord and give an account for how we lived our lives in these bodies. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due due us for the things done in the body, whether good or whether bad. And so we need a fresh imagination for what it can mean to live with these instruments of righteousness, ready to do the will of our king. Lord, I present myself, I present my body, I present these parts of my body to you as instruments of righteousness. So, last week I gave you a challenge to have a sensual experience. This week I have a prayer challenge for you. And I encourage you to do it every morning. If you can't pull off every morning, do it as many times as you can. This could be a two-minute prayer or it could be a 30-minute prayer, depending on how you do it. But I want to encourage you to daily do exactly what Paul is saying in verse 13 Offer the parts of your body to God as instruments of righteousness, okay? So if you would, first thing in the morning, wake up. Again, in two minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, offer the parts of your body to God. Lord, today I offer you my hands, literally. 
My hands are gonna be typing a lot today. May they type words of truth, words of grace and encouragement. They may be making meals today. May they do that in service to you and those I love. They may be literally building something. May they build well for you. They may be shaking a hand, giving a hug. May they love well. Lord, I wanna offer you my feet today. Help me literally move towards the people that you want me to move towards. Help me to walk away from situations where I'm going to be tempted. Lord, I offer you my eyes today. Lord, help me to see the beauty of your creation around me today. Uh, More importantly, help me to see the people you put in front of me. Help me to really see them with my eyes and to notice what it is they need. Lord, I offer you my mouth today. Lord, bridle my tongue from gossip, from criticism, right? May this tongue speak words of encouragement, of truth, of grace, of love, of care, of wisdom. Lord, I offer you my ears. Remind me why I have two ears and only one mouth, right? Help me to listen really well. Literally try this this week. And then as you go out through the day, just notice how embodied your acts of righteousness are or your acts of unrighteousness are. And let's see what, the God, what God does with that. So let me pray for us, and then we will worship with our tongues and maybe even with our hands. We'll see. So Lord, we just present ourselves to you. You are our king. You are our savior. You have died for us, and our bodies are your temple. Lord, would you give us a fresh vision for what it means to follow you in our bodies and to present our bodies to you? to be used in this physical world as instruments of righteousness, holy and pleasing to you. Protect us from all the ways our bodies want to do what is not your will. And may your spirit enliven and empower and flow through these bodies that we might embody your love and your grace and your truth this week, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.